Welcome to UO Today. I'm Paul Pappas, Director of the Oregon Humanities Center. My guest today is Kamisha Russell, Assistant Professor of Philosophy at the University of Oregon and a co-editor of the feminist philosophy journal, Hypatia. Russell's interests focus on the critical philosophy of race, bioethics, African-American philosophy, and feminist theory. Russell's first book, The Assisted Reproduction of Race, was published in 2018. Russell joined the UO faculty in fall of 2017. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you. So how did you become interested in philosophy? Where did that come yeah, from? Yeah, uh, you know, I mean, it's a bit of a long story that I'll try to make a little shorter. Um, I first, when I was an undergrad, um, started to think about uh, the idea of going to grad school and the idea of just being a professor, generally speaking. Um, you know, I knew I liked to teach and explain things to people. Um, I liked to write. Um, so that was sort of the first thing. And then it was kind of a question, okay, well, what, um, what discipline would be the, the right place to do that? Um, and uh, you know, so I, I, I first went uh, to a couple of professors that I had. They, they had a program at American University where I did my undergrad degree, allowing uh, undergraduates to be uh, TAs for um, a professor, um, just, just a few, you had to apply and everything. But so I went to a couple of professors that I, whose classes I had really enjoyed and asked them about whether they'd be willing to do this. Um, and one of them was a philosophy professor who had taught um, a um, moral theory class um, with a feminist focus. Um, so I ended up uh, doing that with her, um, and then she encouraged me to go to a thing called the Rutgers Summer Institute in Philosophy for Minority Students. Mm. Um, and they, um, they work to show uh, you know, students from underrepresented groups um, what you know, what, a little bit about what you know, what philosophy is about, and what grad school might look like. The kinds of conversations, um, you know, they invite people from philosophy professors from around the country to come and give talks and to interact with um, with the undergrads there. Um, so I did that, and that's where I actually met my um, my future dissertation advisor, Robert Bernasconi, and you know, sort of stayed in touch with him. So. Um, but it, what was interesting about that experience for me was that it was not an entirely positive one. There was there was a, mm -hmm. there were some very strange gender dynamics at play, even though the space was about you know underrepresented groups, um, and some some different things that I that I actually thought were, were a little strange. Um, but it, that was part of what kind of drew me to the field. Actually, was this sort of feeling that there was something a little strange going on, but also interesting, and that maybe I would kind of get in there and see what I could do. So, okay, so let's talk about a little bit about what you you've been doing. Yeah. Um, so the book, The Assisted Reproduction of Race, um, is, a, is a work I think that uh, gets at some of these things yeah. that you're talking about. But so you, first of all, you describe the book as a work in the critical philosophy of race. So what is, how do you define that term? Yeah, so um, so it does draw on this um, this legal or this, or this in uh, legal studies this term uh, critical race theory, right? Which um, in itself draws on this uh, critical legal theory, right? But so it is part of this, um, or so that was part of an orientation towards the law that wanted to kind of take seriously um, the way that um, that race uh, factors into. Um, the law and how it's executed and things like that. So not just looking at sort of an idealized version of the law, but looking at it on the ground with some real social inequalities, taking race seriously uh, in that sense. And also um, not, not pretending to be neutral about race, but really saying this is something that exists, um, not in a biological sense necessarily, but something that really impacts our world and we need to um, look at what it does in the law and we need to actually actively work to improve the situation. 
Um, so critical philosophy of race is similar. Um, it sort of takes those tenets of um, believing that there's a real thing, a real phenomenon of race, again, not necessarily a biological one or a genetic one, but something that is operating our society that we have to take seriously That's and, and is also operating, in this case, in the discipline of philosophy, and that we want to take it seriously, and that we don't do that neutrally, but actually we're there to, um, you know, to make a better world in, in some sense, or, or you know, make better philosophy. Um, so yeah, so that's that. So it has that sort of mission um, to it. It has that critical aspect to it. Um, and then you know, and then it kind of you, there are a lot of different conversations you can have kind of under that rubric. But you're you're at least taking seriously the idea that. Um, that racial identities and, and racialized lived experiences and these things actually impact philosophical theories. So um, similar again to the sort of law case, um, you're, you're seeing philosophy not as just sort of neutral, purely logical, universal, um, you know, the same across time and place, but is actually really influenced by um, the societies and the nor social norms within which the philosophy is constructed, and particularly ha you know, as those concern um, ideas about race. Okay, so what sparked your interest in particular in the role of race in assisted reproductive technologies? Where did you go there? Yeah, um, so I mean, yeah, I have, I've had long-term interest in um, areas of race and feminism. Um, yeah, I was looking for a dissertation project. I was actually at a conference um, and something sometimes when I'm at a conference, which I don't normally do, I turn on uh, you know morning television, um, and so I turned on morning television. And Good Morning America was on, and they were doing a story about um, outsourcing surrogacy in, mm -hmm. uh, to India. So they were doing a story about Western couples who um, mm -hmm. seek Indian surrogates um, for a process that's called gestational surrogacy, which is where um, the the egg and sperm come from either the intended parents or from an outside donor and the surrogate's not genetically related uh, to the child that she carries. So there's an IVF process and then the implantation and the surrogate carries this child to whom she's not genetically related. Um, so um, I was talking about this process in India um, and I just hadn't heard about that before and I thought that was really interesting. But then uh, during the course of the story, um, they said uh, Jane and Mike, uh, Michael, and Tracy and Michael, I think, or the, the name of the couple. Um, I don't know if that was actually their real names or not. I think it was. Uh, anyway, they, um, they say, you know, Tracy, Tracy and Michael recognize that it's kind of strange that they're having this Indian woman carry their baby, um, but this couple is colorblind. They just want a baby, mm -hmm. something like that. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was really struck by this word colorblind. I was just kind of like, yeah, I'm just kind of getting dressed to go downstairs to the conference and thinking like, wait, what? Like, what, what do they mean? Um, so I was really interested in, the, you know, and, and then I actually, I looked it up later um, and it, uh, on the ABC uh, News website, and they had the story there, but it didn't actually include the word colorblind. Um, mm. And then, so then I was like, did I make this up? Um, so then I went uh, and searched LexisNexis that had the actual transcript of, um, of that actual show. And yeah, it, it was there. So that's one of the things that kind of started me thinking like, what is this idea of race? Um, and in this case, this idea of colorblindness, this sort of race neutrality, which, um, which I don't agree with. Um, you know, what, what role is this playing? Why did they feel the need to mention this in the story? What, what sort of discomfort about um, what they were reporting on is sort of signaled in them and talking in this way and using this word? So, um, 
So that kind of started me. I, I, you know, and I started you know, doing some independent studies with some professors I was working with to kind of look more into what's been um, written about race and reproductive technology. And it turned out there was not a lot, not a lot generally, um, and certainly not a lot in philosophy. So where um, feminist philosophers and just feminists at large have been thinking about reproductive technologies in terms of uh, gender um, and family and all those kinds of things uh, for quite some time, um, the, there had just not been as much work on race. So, um, so I started, you know, gathering and, and looking for that work on race. Um, and then, you know, and that's how I kind of began to start, you know, forming my theses around it and everything like that. So let's talk about that first intervention, um, the, the intervention that the book makes in discussions, philosophical discussions of reproductive, uh, artificial um, uh, reproductive, assisted reproductive technology. So what's the contribution there? How would you characterize it? Yeah, so I think that, um, I mean, first of all, it's just sort of to give um, give attention to um, to how race um, is, is playing out in these situations. Um, so I actually, um, yeah, I, I do, I, so I sort of start with by looking, well, I start in lots of ways, but one of the ways I start is that, um, you know, looking at kind of where we see race mentioned um, in reproductive technologies and in stories around reproductive technologies. Mm -hmm. uh, but then I actually go and, uh, and look historically at um, the development of the race concept and the way that that's linked to technology and, and, um, and reproduction and sort of control over reproduction. Um, and then, you know, and then I kind of, uh, yeah, I go, I, I just, that's in sort of a European context and around um, some European philosophers and other uh, natural scientists and stuff. And then um, I go on to look at the U.S. Um, and the role that race has played in sort of the ideas of families and, and things like that in the U.S. And then I kind of come to more contemporary um, examples. Again, I come back to, I guess, to more contemporary examples of how, um, just how people, what people think they mean when they're talking about race. And one of the things that's striking actually about reproductive technologies um, which you can see uh, just by looking at websites um, for either egg banks or sperm banks or just generally, um, you know, sites that uh, places that offer reproductive technologies have, is that um, if you if you're searching for donors, there's always almost always a drop-down menu um, that has some kind of racial or ethnic category, and then the way these get divided up varies. Um, as typically the first um, sorting method that you get mm. um, looking for donors. So it's, it's, it's assumed to be sort of the, one of the most important things, the, the first thing that you'll want to sort of establish before looking for other characteristics. Um, so I think there's a, so that was what was really interesting to me is, is how much um, it matters to people or it seems to matter to people that they know something about um, what, what you would almost call the racial identity of a gamete, right? Mm -hmm. um, even though that's not really a thing, um, but it's, it's a thing in people's imagination. So what it amounts to is the racial identity of the person who donated the gamete right. um, and, and how important that is to people. And, a lot of, and also a lot of the uh, stories you see about um, you know, about problems in assisted reproductive technology um, focus around race. Um, so it's, it's when, you know, sort of some kind of outcome, some sort of expected outcome of racial sameness between parents and child, um, racial matching between parents and child isn't achieved in a reproductive technology that you most often get these kind of stories, um, these popular news stories about, you know, look at this thing that happened. Um, a few years ago, there was a, um, a lesbian woman who uh, who was inseminated with the wrong sperm uh, by a, by an Ohio sperm bank, I believe it was Ohio, 
Um, and um, the key feature of this case and what sort of got the attention and, and what was included in the suit itself was that she had been inseminated by a sperm from a black donor rather than a white donor, and they had chosen a white donor. Um, so it was more than just that she didn't get the particular donor sperm that she had requested. And I'm not saying that's not a problem. Um, you know, the, the sperm bank clearly made a mistake. But the, the nature of the mistake was seemed to be magnified mm -hmm. by this um, unexpected racial identity or visible uh, racial appearance of their child. And that um, concerns about um, where they lived and whether that would be a friendly environment for this biracial child, um, how, how their extended family was going to treat the child, uh, where to get the child's hair done. These are all things that are actually named, you know, described mm -hmm. in the suit. So I think that you know, you, anytime you see a sort of racial mix-up, uh, as you might call them, you see this uh, increased attention and, and, and you know, so this fraughtness around it. So I was really interested in, in that um, and kind of getting at what it is people think that they're doing when they're, um, when they're reproducing their own race, their own racial identity through um, assisted reproductive technologies. So say a little bit about how that intervention in, inflects current uh, philosophical discussions about race. Yeah, so um, this, uh, this, for me, um, I want. Yeah, I started. I started off um, sort of framing the intervention about um, moving discussions. Has been a long, um, well, since the '90s. It depends on your version of long. Some disciplines, <laughs> I'm sure, that's not that long. In philosophy, it's not that long. But there's been a discussion for in the philosophy of race. It's long since the '90s. Um, there's been a lot of discussion about kind of what is race. Um, is it this biological thing? If we don't, and most people don't think it is. And if it's not, then um, you know what is it? And should we keep talking about it? And um, you know, is it basically, is it real? Um, and you know, and the the answer to that is often um, given in terms of social construction. Um, so the the argument is kind of you know, well, there are things that are real because they're natural kinds, right? There are things that are you know, like trees or um, you know, flowers, um, animals. Um, like we know they're real because they're out there in nature. Um, but even if race is not a natural kind, right, um, even if there's no way to kind of divide up human beings according to racial categories, um, that works. Or alternatively, if there were a way but we didn't know it and we have all the wrong categories as it is, in either case, um, that's one kind of reality. But there's also the reality of things that we create socially that impact us and, um, and have effects. And so an, a popular analogy is to money. Um, so you say, yeah, money is is made up in the sense that um, you know, it doesn't you know money it <laughs> literally doesn't grow on trees, right? But but you know it, it, we we determine you know what the value of um, different pieces of paper or coins are um, and and the you know exchange value of of things. Um, and but but it, you know but it, it's it'd be absurd to say that money doesn't affect people's lives. It, it very obviously affects everyone's lives in a variety of ways. And so that you can say something similar about race. It's socially constructed, but it very obviously affects people's lives. These categories we have, these ascriptions, the things that other people say about your race, your um, se you know self description in terms of race. All of these things um, matter to kind of how you move about in the world, and in many cases how safely you move about in the world. Um, so yeah, so there was this idea that race is socially constructed. Great, um, but then uh, you know, then that leads people sometimes to think that um, therefore we can just kind of get rid of it, or um, or we should just stop talking about it. Um, and I and I wanted to kind of um, 
move with social construction, but also to kind of um, move beyond that and um, and say like let's let's think about what how are people using the idea of race to accomplish things either politically or even personally um, and so that's what I was you know what I've been trying to what I ended up trying to get at when I as I was looking at the use of race um, when people are seeking reproductive technologies is it's not really about whether what they think race is. It's not really about whether they believe it's a biological quantity or not, but it's about some idea of what it means and what it and how it relates to, um, you know, how we're related to people, kinship, to reproduction. So that's that's you know. So I wanted. To, so then it ended up kind of thinking through that. Ended up kind of bringing back um, for me this idea that. Oh, we need to be thinking about race in a really different way. Um, we need to be thinking about what it does in a particular context, um, both um, geographically and in time, um, so that we might so we have very different concepts of race and who is part of which race and which races are are worrisome or troublesome across different uh, different times. You know, I mean, you know, Nazi Germany is your sort of classic example where Jews get really racialized in ways that um, you know sometimes they weren't before and sometimes they haven't been since. Um, but um, you know, but th that's very different. What we saw in Nazi Germany in terms of race than the history of race in the U.S., for example, which is based in chattel slavery. Um, so, and, and as well in the the presence of indigenous peoples in um, on the American continent as well. So you have a sort of whole different racial dynamic, right? So. Part of what I wanted to um, to recognize, which many people have recognized, so I wanted to try to bring clear, is this idea that um, we have this concept of race, but it's actually different across time and space. But there might be some things, some types of things that the idea of race does, and it might do it in different ways in different places and times. But we should, that's what we should be focused on, not sort of whether it's biological or not biological or constructed or not constructed. but. What is the race concept in this particular time and place, and what is it doing in the society? Who is using it to what ends, um, and who is resisting it, um, in what ways? So that's that's sort of where the larger intervention I was trying to make. And and that's what you mean when you race. when you think of, when you talk about race as a technology. Yes. Um, so when if, if we just sort of think of a very um, sort of standard uh, analogy to technology, what are technologies? Um, well, there's the, there's these man or human-made things, um, and not only do we make them, but they're not just like art. We also do things with them, right? So they are, are frequently tools that we're using to do something. So we make them and we use them, and that's what I kind of wanted to um, you know the social construction. Uh, view gives us the fact that we make race, but it doesn't emphasize as much the fact that we use race, that, it, that it's accomplishing things. So that's, and then you know, I, I go on to use um, some other philosophical conceptions of technology from a few different people to kind of tease out other ways that we might, that may be helpful to think about race in terms of technology. So I don't, I'm not committed to a particular definition of technology um, that that puts race as a technology, but to kind of exploring these made you know made and then used aspects of of race in in variety of contexts. So you've already talked about some of the ways in which race is used in in assisted re reproductive technologies. Um, how do you understand um, the contrast between ethical assessments of race and rep in and reproductive technologies and political assessments of race and reproductive technologies? Yeah, so that and for me that's actually a very important question um, because when you 
are doing research about people, um, you know, I mean, and, and you know, in philosophy, the research we do is not, um, we don't, in the sense, go into the field and, and uh, you know, um, and that kind of stuff. So we're not we're not actually researching people um, or, or involving them in our research projects per se. But when you do read about and think about people who are using reproductive technologies, um, you know, you have a lot of people who um, really have an idea of family that's very important to them that they're pursuing that they've often struggled um, in their pursuit of. Um, you know, just you know, people who are very vulnerable, at least in the sense of not feeling they can easily obtain something that's very meaningful to them in their life projects. Um, and that, that, that's in terms of people who are trying to seek to have children. But also, when, then when you look at the people who you know, serve as surrogates or donors, right, they are also um, you know, often vulnerable in certain ways. Um, so they are you know, seeking some kind of uh, money or help to, to live their lives. In the case of Indian surrogates, you know, often money to send their children through school or to uh, buy or, or build a house or own land or you know, sort of to increase their, their security um, in, a, in a really difficult situation. So you, you have all these very insecure people, either sort of economically or um, you know, in terms of this deep life desire that they're trying to fulfill, that, that they're trying not to have uh, taken away from them, right? So there's a lot of fear about um, you know, uh, the old-fashioned uh, surrogacy where the surrogate was related to the child. There were famous cases where, um, you know, where uh, intended parents weren't granted full custody. The surrogate wanted to keep the child. So th this worries people because this is something they want very much. So in all these contexts, um, it feels to me really wrong to try to sort of judge people's individual decisions and declare them sort of right or wrong. Um, because of how deeply held these beliefs are, I think I certainly think they're socially inflected beliefs. It's not that they, um, you know, people were born with them per se, but they are the beliefs that they have come to hold over time that have meaning for them. So, um, so you know, ethical, the way that I construe it, and, and it can be more broadly construed, but the, the, the slightly more narrow way that I construe ethics is about sort of saying this individual action is right or wrong, it's permissible or not permissible, um, it needs to follow these rules or that, those rules. Um, and so and I, I just get really concerned about trying to kind of judge people um, in this way. And I think it's very hard. And, and the other thing um, I think that's very important with uh, reproductive technologies is People make these same kinds of decisions without technologies, too. They decide who to marry, when to have kids, um, things like that. Um, so, you know, we don't want to also sort of single people out um, for considering race in their family formation practices just because they are um, seeking a donor or a surrogate or, or, or seeing a doctor. Um, because this has been going on for a long time. But what we do want to do is kind of pay attention to what these practices are telling us about, um, you know, sort of social norms and ideas, um, what people think matters, um, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I think, you know, it's, it's actually quite interesting, for example, when, um, you know, the lesbian woman and her partner Sue um, over getting this mixed race child, right? What they're actually recognizing and contending with that they were not previously contending with is are the real material disadvantages of, um, of appearing not white in uh, American society, like real dangers and, and concerns, um, you know, for their child's sort of life opportunities. Um, 
but the fact, you know, so that they're, they're seeing something in that moment, even though they're, they pursued it in a sort of individualistic way through the courts, what they're actually seeing is a, is a political system that, that's mm -hmm. becoming more visible to them. Um, and so that's, you know, that to me is what's really interesting is what, what are we seeing uh, when we look at people's choices that are kind of laid bare um, through these websites and drop down menus and lawsuits and things like that, um, that we don't, that we don't see as much in, in sort of so-called natural reproduction, right, unassisted reproduction. So I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm much more interested in sort of how, what can we learn about how race is being treated and what it's doing, then how can we sort of, um, you know, individualize and personalize these decisions to condemn individual people mm -hmm. for sort of their participation in social norms. That just doesn't seem to me a very fruitful um, way. And, and, and frankly, if you want to you know, fight racism, trying to control those people who produce through um, art of, you know, assisted reproduction, a, that's a small percentage of people who are reproducing, right? So it's just not kind of, not a good target for mm -hmm. this individualized ethical um, intervention. But I think it's a really interesting uh, target and way to kind of look at some of these larger political trends. So one of the things that you've, you've discovered when you've, when you've looked at this is that there's a kind of um, new version of eugenics that's getting played out here. And, and I think, you know, many of us think, oh, eugenics, the Nazis did that, and that's, we don't have that anymore. Say a little bit about that contribution. Yeah, I mean, so, it's, it's, yeah, so there's, it's just sort of two aspects. So, so there is, I mean, there is actually literally a new version of eugenics. There is a, is a liberal eugenics that people are, you know, literally arguing for, um, and, and, and not, you know, not fringe people. Um, so they're, I mean, they're and, and they are sort of stripping that eugenics of the idea of race, and they're saying, look, we're just talking about um, sort of, um, you know, questions of health and, and, and well-being and quality of life. I mean, this, I mean, this is a discourse that is, correctly heavily criticized by disability studies, for example. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but you know, so there, there's that, and so that, that's already problematic. But what, one of the things I was interested in is kind of the assertion by these people who, um, who support this so-called liberal eugenics or you know, um, neoliberal eugenics, um, or you can call it reprogenetics as well, um, the sort of manipulation of um, tools of genetics um, and medical science to kind of uh, shape uh, who's reproducing, um, you know, or individually for people to shape kind of whom they are reproducing, and um, you know, and to screen out um, various kinds of uh, disabilities and things like that. So there's um, so there's that sort of. There's a sort of assertion by people who support these kinds of new eugenics um, that it has that it's unrelated to race, that it's really divorced from the sort of eugenics um, that the Nazis supported and which were wildly popular um, in the t early 20th century all across the world in a variety of ways. So certainly the Nazis didn't, ha they just were much more uh, dedicated in their pursuit of the project, but the belief in uh, the importance of eugenics and bettering um, the human race or various human races um, was very widespread. But I, I, am, I am interested in this idea that um, somehow race has dropped out of this consideration and, and we're kind of free of that now. Um, and some people you know, are really um, you know, sort of clear to themselves that, yeah, it's just still racism. Um, but other people, and, and some people are clear it's not. And I wanted to kind of find something a little bit more nuanced there um, and, and kind of say, 
there are some ideas that are really common, these root ideas that are common to racism and common to eugenics. And if we see them as having sort of co-constituted each other in the modern period, in during the time that that um, the sciences and uh, we're learning about reproduction and how it works, and during the time that um, efforts at breeding animals and plants were, people were starting to think, huh, maybe we should be doing that with human beings too. So, so it's a connection through this idea of mastery. Um, so I think that part of what goes on with classifying human beings into races and believing that these are historically important is this uh, desire to control um, human reproduction um, and, and the fate of humanity. And I think that, that we see that in the new and the old. And I think it's very connected to the same reasons we've developed ideas of race and we can't quite let go of them. So I wanted to create a more subtle way to connect those two things. Well, oh. that was, that's a fascinating <laughs> point, as is everything that you've been talking to me about. Um, it's been a real pleasure. We've burned through our time. I want to I thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us <laughs> thank today. Thank you. It went really fast, but very enjoyable. <laughs> Thanks. I've been speaking with Kamisha Russell, Assistant Professor of Philosophy at the University of Oregon and a co-editor of the feminist philosophy journal, Hypatia. Her first book, The Assisted Reproduction of Race, was published in 2018. Thanks again. Thank you. Thanks again for watching. Thank you.